I got to tell you this story before we get started. I've been looking forward to so, this. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, uh, a while ago, I noticed that there was like a couple of birds building a nest like right by our front door. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's kind of fun, you know. And so I like, I didn't know what kind of birds there were. So I like, I used Google Lens and took a picture and Googled it and found out that they're barn swallows. So like they're, you know, birds that very often like build nests on barns and other other so they're they're lost is what you're yeah saying. they're well they they <laughs> the birds like typically like build build nests on man-made structures that's like what they do mm-hmm. and you know hence the name you know barns or whatever and like it was kind of like kind of did some research and found out like oh that's kind of fun like they like they like mate for life and they're like if you leave the nest alone they'll come back every year and do that mm-hmm. i'm like oh that'd be kind of neat i even gave them names you know i was like god oh, and this because i thought it was fun um but now I hate these birds. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. So wait, wait, wait. What are their names? Their names are Fred and Wilma. <laughs> yeah, I named them Fred and Wilma. And like all the babies, ha- the babies have hatched now. So they're like little, little cheapy uh-huh. birds, which is like, doesn't really bother me or whatever. The thing that annoys the piss out of me right now is that, you know, they're animals. They're defending their home. Every time I walk out of my front door, I get dive bombed by birds every time and like because fred and wilma they'll they'll take off and they'll start you know cheeping and calling their friends then out of nowhere like eight other birds show up and i'm just trying to get in my car <laughs> they call the entire cast of the flip they do yeah to dive bomb you <laughs> yeah you know barney and betty and then mr slate they'd all just come flying at me and all of a sudden they'll just start dive bombing <laughs> at my head and like i don't always like like look at them and watch them come at me, but I can always tell mm. whenever there's one close to my head because they make a different sound. Like they normally just like cheep, cheep, cheep. When they're like close to your head, they go meep. And then like they'll do that and then fly away. <laughs> and so like I have straight up watched birds come at my face, just like whoosh, right at me. And they're like, they'll turn away at like the last second or whatever. And I was like, it got to the point where I was, I had to go in and out of the house a lot at one point and they would, it would, ha- it happened every single time. It got to the point I just took an umbrella out there with me and just started swinging it at him to get him to keep him away from trying to dive bomb my head. It didn't work. Actually, what did work is when I opened the umbrella and just held it over me, I looked yeah. bigger, so they didn't want to attack me. They, I also, like, Suki came outside with me, my dog, and they started diving at Suki, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. It has not been fun. I hate it. So you're basically, you have to be Mary Poppins now to get in and out of your house. <laughs> I feel like it. Or like Snow White, I can walk outside and whistle and they would just go, like if they could do something useful, like hang my laundry, I'd be, I'd be really thankful. But like, <laughs> just them, them hanging around. I hate these freaking birds, man. I'm so annoyed. I'm ready for them to leave. Well, once, once these babies are gone, I'm, that nest is coming down. Like I can't deal with those right now. Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show, man. The show where we talk about the musicals you love and why they're great and why they suck. I'm your host, Emily Chavone, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Brantley Wheeler. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's it's going. Good. (laughs) I'm already out of breath. You're already out of breath? Great. (laughs) Uh, It's been a a long time, feels like. It's, it all, well, yeah. But to be fair, it always feels like a long time. A long time since we recorded? Or? Long, yes. Every time it feels like we record, it feels like it's been too or long. It feels like we've been it. sitting here for a long time. Eh, well. A 60-minute episode is like three hours of a story. That's true, yeah. <laughs> oh, the stuff that gets left on the floor, you know? Dear listeners, if you only knew. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, what show are we talking about today? Okay, so today <laughs> we are talking about our first, is it our first adaptation? Every musical is an adaptation. It's our first Disney. It's our first Disney, yeah. And we decided to go ahead and do this one, I think because it happened around here recently, right? It's kind of, I think, well, that and there's some kind of bigger ones we decided to kind of put off for a little while. But this is this is the one that we kind of went with. We just kind of picked one in the middle and this is what we're going with. So today we're talking about the Little Mermaid Broadway adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. In case you, for some reason, have not heard of the Little Mermaid. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, people you, of our generation. Why are you here? People of our generation, we we literally grew up watching this movie. There's not. There's no way we haven't. It is. Well, it's no. This came out the same year you were born, right? This is this is older than me. Uh, the Little Mermaid is a stage adaptation of the 1989 Disney film of the same name, which is based on the fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, they had an out-of-town trial in Denver in 2007, and then opened on Broadway January of 2008. Closed August of 2009 after 685 performances. Music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Howard Ashman and Glenn Slater, and book by Doug Wright. And according to Playbill, in the year of our Lord, 2023, it was tied for the fifth most popular musical produced by high schools. Uh, it was actually tied with Beauty and the Beast. Oh, look at there. Yeah. Great. Um, I know for a fact, too, that uh, Little Mermaid, I believe, is the sixth major uh, film adaptation that Disney's made into a Broadway musical. The first one being Beauty and the Beast back in like 94. Uh, and then Lion King was 97, which was really soon after the original movie, uh, which I think the movie came out in 95. The original Lion King was like 95. And then the Broadway show was 96, like really soon after that. And then it was Hunchback, but Hunchback really only opened in Germany in like 99. And then after that was Tarzan and then Mary Poppins and then Little Mermaid. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a correction now so that we, I just I just imagine the comments coming. Okay. In. Uh, <laughs> Disney's Beauty and the Beast was 91. The the movie was 91. Uh-huh. The stage show came out 94. Uh-huh. The Lion King the movie's 94. Oh, okay. So that so that was my still, bad. Uh, I mean, I was close. I said 95. Still pretty quick for a Broadway productions of yeah, for sure. And it's still going. Lion King is still running. Yes, we'll talk about that someday, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'll look forward to that one. But anyway, so yeah, Little Mermaid. Um, weirdly enough, as popular as the movie is, this show did not run that long. I think it did pretty well. And then uh, it was closed in 2009 uh, because they were coming into the fall season and they were afraid they were going to lose money. So rather than start to lose money, uh, mm-hmm. they just preemptively closed it. Oh, sure. Okay. Whatever. I mean, they are, Disney is a business. And Disney Theatrical is a branch of that business, so. That's true. They were also gearing up for Aladdin at that point, so. Right, right, yeah. Well, Newsies is right after that, so Newsies, I think. Oh, yeah, Newsies is in there, too. Yeah, Newsies was right after Little Mermaid. Newsies was, like, 2012. I guess Aladdin Aladdin didn't get to Broadway until 2013, did it? 12 or 13, something like that. It it, uh, opened officially on March 20th, 2014. 2014? Yeah, it like that was, it was in previews. I think it started previews in thirteen and then opened officially in fourteen. Man, I'm old. It's been, yeah, Aladdin's been around for a bit too. I, yeah, well, I saw that with the Broadway cast. Anyway, The Little Mermaid. Yeah, Little Mermaid. 
enough about Disney. Let's talk about Little Mermaid. We said we'd pick one Disney show per season, and we're going to talk about every Disney show today. Yep. This All is a four-hour episode. All right, here we go. Buckle in. Here we go. Cracking my knuckles. <laughs> All right, no. Okay, so. I have a summary of The Little Mermaid. Sure. Yeah, go for your summary, and then we can kind of break down, break down things. I do want to say that I was very excited to talk about this, and like I, I have seen the musical before, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not super familiar with it, but familiar enough that I felt like this was going to be a show that I was excited about. And hopefully by now we all know my brand. So here's my summary. <laughs> In case you've never seen The Little Mermaid. <clears throat> Act one. Ariel is a mermaid, the youngest daughter of the Sea King Triton, and totally obsessed with human culture to the point of being a shipwreck grave robber. Her best friend is a fish called Flounder, who's totally friend-zoned but still does whatever she wants, including visiting a seagull named Scuttle at the surface who incorrectly tells Ariel about all the human treasures she collects. Ariel catches a glimpse of Prince Eric and his crew sailing the open seas, and in true Disney fashion, falls immediately in love and decides she has to become a human. King Triton finds her human artifact collection and is enraged because Ariel's mother was killed by fishermen, probably? Question mark. He destroys all her stuff, forbids any more surface trips, and tells the court composer Sebastian the Crab to keep an eye on her. Ariel, being a typical spoiled youngest child teenager, goes to her Aunt Ursula, the infamous sea witch, where she trades her voice for a human body with the stipulation that she must get Eric to kiss her within three days or Ursula keeps her voice and soul forever. Act 2. Eric talks to Ariel slash himself for three days. She turns into a mermaid again temporarily. Ursula is defeated in three seconds. Triton stops being a xenophobe and everyone lives happily ever after. Oh yeah, and La Poisson. <laughs> oh yeah, and the song about fish. <laughs> Which might be the best song in the show. <laughs> it's it's great. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, but so uh, first, we, I think we should also like acknowledge the original cast because I yeah. listening to the soundtrack, they're all great. You know, it's stacked. It, they're, it's, it's it's stacked. And uh, Sierra Bogus, this is like her Broadway debut. Is this it show? It was, yeah. Which is pretty great, and she's fantastic. She's uh, yeah. It's I mean, what a what a debut, honestly, to be this character in a Disney show. One of the most beloved Disney princesses of all time and then you get to play that for real in real life. That's just pretty cool. Well, and you know they they found her because she was Christine in Phantom in Vegas. I did not know that, but that's cool. Yeah, that's she was doing that. So she was established and like was a, a, a talented, established performer. She just hadn't, hadn't been on the Broadway been yet. Been on Broadway. Right, okay. Um, so there's that and then we have uh, Sherry Renee Scott as Ursula. I love her. Always solid. Always going to be great there. Very different than Pat Carroll, but I'm not mad about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we had uh, Sean Palmer was Prince Eric. Uh, King Triton was Norm Lewis. Sebastian was the incomparable Titus Burgess. Probably my favorite character in this show and my favorite actor to come out of this show. I know this and probably was our dream cast regular. Yeah, Titus Burgess, for sure. <laughs> uh, for sure. I love him so much. Um, and then we had uh, Eddie Corbick as Scuttle. Jonathan Freeman as Grimsby, which is really fun because Jonathan Freeman, in case you did not know this, is the original voice of Jafar in the animated Aladdin and also played Jafar in the original Aladdin and production. On yeah, and on Broadway, exactly. Yeah. That was super cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool that he that he got to do that because there's not a lot of these uh, voice actors who get to reprise a role like that in a live adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to kind of round out the rest of the featured cast, Tyler Maynard or Maynard as uh, Flotsam, Derek Baskin as Jetsam, uh, Chef Louis was John Tracy Egan, and uh, Flounder is played by a 
nice handful of young boys. <laughs> um, Trevor Braun, Brian D'Adrio, Cody Hanford, and J.J. Singleton were all in the flounder group because you know how you know the way that Broadway works with children is they have multiple people playing that part at different times, different days to give them breaks. So, but either way, it's a great cast for this show. I'll say this, Disney knows what they're doing when they when it comes to these kind of things, you know. I think that like Disney theatrical is a kind of its own thing and when they let them take care of things, it usually turns out pretty well. Yes, agreed. So like not mad about it. <laughs> Okay, so if we just start from the top of the show, right? Sure. So I have only seen, um, I haven't never got to see the Broadway production. I only ever saw like amateur productions of it, which mm-hmm. is like, which is fine, you know. Um, but knowing the difference between what was rewritten or changed from the Broadway production to the uh, licensing pro- licensed production, which is, you know, a pretty common thing. It's not that not that weird that that happens all the time. Um, I can think of a handful of shows I know for sure that have been changed, but with this show specifically, I really don't, I'll get, I'll get to it. There's a a particular song I do not like that they, that they changed. Uh, but I didn't realize that the show started with Ariel singing. I thought it just went into right into fathoms below as it did in the movie. I wish it did. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think there are too many songs, which I don't know if I've ever said about a musical before. That's a hot take. I, mean, I, I think there are too many songs in the stage version. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, thinking about like the original animated production, there are quite a few. I mean, it definitely has more songs than some of the other Disney quote unquote musicals. I'm looking at you, Mulan, with your three songs or whatever. Hey. Not a musical. I mean, it. Mu- I mean, like, <laughs> Mulan's great. I just don't think it's a musical. We like Mulan. I love Mulan. Don't get me wrong. I love that song. And the songs are great, but there's not very many. Anyway, as opposed to like this, this song has this show versus sorry, has like a bunch, you know, already. Yeah. And then they added more <laughs> from the Broadway show. I, I, in my research, I think I saw somewhere that when uh, the movie was first in talks, they had Alan Menken and Howard Ashman had really pitched that they wanted it to be more like a Broadway musical mm, okay. and kind of follow that structure where the songs were really integrated in the plot. And I mean, they were already successful musical theater composers at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think The Little Mermaid does a really good job of incorporating lots of like meaningful integrated songs. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so then to be like, oh, yeah, well, now we need to make it more than 90 minutes because it's a stage show. I think they just I think it, it could have been a tight two hours. Mm hmm. And it, it's like 2.20, and it feels every second of that 2.20. Yeah, I think so, yeah. It's long. Yeah, I was going to say, I, was, I, was say, I think it was about 2.20. Um, but I really like the one, th- like, I, I didn't really pick up on this until like later on, but just because honestly, I have been revisiting some Gilbert and Sullivan recently, and Fathoms Below to me sounds a lot like Pirates of Penzance. Maybe just because it's the piratey kind of tune that a lot of people kind of put with that, but I was getting Gilbert and Sullivan vibes from Fathoms Below now as like re-listening to it. I didn't think of that, but yeah, that and Alan Menken's sea shanty would be Gilbert and Sullivan. I don't know how much that we can use. Yeah, just it very much comes off as like it's very Gilbert and Sullivan this kind of sound, which is cool because it's like an homage to the. To that kind of those kind of older older Broadway shows, 
Hmm. I love all of the added harmonies that in pretty much every song that they've put in the show that they've they've reorchestrated or rearranged things to where there's a lot more harmonies, but you hear it really, really well in Daughters of Triton. Because they all kind of sing in unison and then they split into harmony and you're like, oh, that's good, though. That's really good. And I like it a lot. And they you know, extended that song a bit, too, to it's not just like a 30 second number. It's a long, an actual full number. Mm-hmm. And I just I like it a lot more. I like the change. I like I do say that I will. I do like some of the changes. I don't like all of the changes to the show. Um, okay. But that's that is one change specifically that I really, really enjoy. Um, also, I was kind of like thinking about it later on i was really surprised at how much sierra bogus sounded like jody benson when she was singing until she like started belting you know mm-hmm. when she belts she sounds like sierra bogus but when like up to that point she sounded like almost like kind of like i was like you know doing some work as i'm listening to the music and it just really surprised me how much she sounded like jody benson which i thought was really cool and obviously it was like probably an intentional casting choice or she's changing her voice to sound more like Jodie Benson, which also is a possibility. I'm not sure, but I just thought that was really cool. And like, it really stuck out to me um, when she sang the first, the first original song, the world above. Right. Um, That stuck out to me, like how much she sounded like what I would quote unquote think Ariel would sound like. Mm. But yeah, those, the harmonies that have been added though, they just, they, elevate all this like there's a lot of good songs from the original show that they from the original movie that they put in the show but it just elevates them so much more in my opinion yeah that's a broadway thing yeah i know but still (laughs) (laughs) do you have any comments about stuff anything so far because i'll just keep talking um (laughs) you you can keep going i mean i'm looking at like the broadway cast recording Mm -hmm. track list and i'm trying to remember what the world above sounds like it's gone for my brain. But then then you have human stuff and I want the good times back, neither of which is in the license, like the production you can license today. Yeah, which is a bummer because I think human stuff is really fun. Uh, I I just, I mean, it's just, it just is a fun song. I mean, I get, I get cutting it because there's not a song, there's like that song technically isn't in, I mean, it's not in the movie that it's based on, right? But I mean, I kind of liked it, and it kind of established, you know, establishes Scuttle a little bit more, and kind of gives the other seagulls are just kind of also there. So it kind of gives it, it kind of establishes that a little more. So it's not really later on a surprise when they do a different song. Here's what I think happened. I don't, I don't know this for sure, mm-hmm. but here's what I think happened. I was watching an interview with Derek Baskin, who was the original Jetsam, mm-hmm. and who you probably know from other things like Memphis and right, yeah. ain't too proud mm-hmm. right he's he, an amazing performer apparently he was originally auditioning for sebastian and i believe in the interview it said that it mm, was basically okay. down to he and titus burgess and obviously we know he didn't get cast as sebastian but they offered him they were like we really like you we want we have this other part for you mm-hmm. and uh flotsam and jetsam were apparently much bigger roles in denver really yes and and i and i believe my I don't know for sure, but I believe that Scuttle was probably also a much bigger role. And the problem was people liked Scuttle and Flotsam and Jetsam too much. <laughs> and we forgot about Ariel. That's what they said was that Flotsam and Jetsam were just so well liked by the audience that it was detracting from the rest of the show. So they had to cut things. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same thing probably happened with Scuttle where everyone's like, oh, a couple of numbers that aren't like dramatic lovey ballads. 
that part was so fun and their costumes are really cool and so I, I think they just like pulled the audience in so much that from a, a directing standpoint it had to be pulled back and so I suspect yeah. that's why part of why that scuttle song is cut because there are so like there are so many songs in the show. what's one more <laughs> that's tr- kind of true there's so many and so I think that song really didn't do anything that a couple of lines of dialogue couldn't do sure which yeah. is consistent with the rest of the show I think there are a lot of um man, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna come in so negative right off the top I think there's too many scene changes and that's part of why like the the biggest problem with this show is pacing. Mm-hmm. There's too many scene changes, and I think some of those things could be combined. Like there are moments where there's a moment I think it's there's a moment where Triton and Sebastian, maybe someone else is on stage too, and they're on stage for like three lines. Are you th- thinking about? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Is yeah. that after part of your world? No, I think I know what you're talking about. It's I think is it the world above reprise that one? Maybe because it's like it's right after it's after her voice, which I'll get back to. But it's after her voice, and then King Triton is like, "Oh, the world above is bad," or da 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 da, and then like this, it's over. And then like because like we because right before the Prince Eric song is she's in love, which is you know uh-huh. the sisters, and then Eric comes out and he sings her voice, and then we go back to King Triton after that, and then after that is under the sea. So like it's not as like a, a not a crazy transition there but going from like underwater to to the surface back to underwater like that quickly is a huge pain yeah and it works great in a movie when you can draw whatever background you want and it changes instantaneously Mm -hmm. but when you're trying when you have this huge elaborate ship because i've never seen a production of the little mermaid that doesn't have a huge elaborate ship right and it takes 20 seconds to wheel that thing out on stage like you are slowing everything down by going back and forth mm-hmm. and back and forth. Like I, I think some of these scenes could have been combined. For sure. For sure. And you know, I'm like thinking about it too. One of the amateur productions that I saw, like there's a lot of transition music written into the show, mm-hmm. but one of the, like they would always set King Triton's like throne, like center stage, like up center, which is also where the ship was. So like they'd have the sh- they'd have be underwater for she's in love, and they had like the different seashells that those sisters were in. They had to wheel those off stage, wheel the ship back in, and do that so- do her voice, and then wheel the ship back out, <laughs> and then put Triton's throne back center, and then take it out to do under the sea. And I'm like, that's a lot of moving. There's diff- I'm like, there's gotta be a way to condense all this so that we're not doing this much shifting like maybe like you pull this one scene like further downstage so that you're kind of you know you can be changing things in the back but this just comes out and sits here then goes away and like this oh there's got to be a way to do something that that's what i was just gonna say i wonder if this comes from this like the old broadway idea of like close the traveler and have a small scene in front while you're resetting the main set like let the shift happen behind the traveler if you have a, a relatively mm-hmm. downstage traveler. But, I mean, I get right. that a lot of this show is the spectacle. As is so every like, Disney show. <laughs> right. Like, if you, you're you just going to close a black traveler and have Ariel and Flounder stand in front of it and then lose all of the environment? No, I'd put a blue traveler. Well. <laughs> They're underwater, Siobhan. Put a blue traveler. But I also... Do you have a blue traveler? No, and I wouldn't want to change it out for a blue one either. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. My high school had a blue traveler. Was your school colors blue? 
blue and silver. Yeah, well, that makes sense then, doesn't it? Our school yeah. colors are blue and gold. <laughs> and our traveler's red, so what does that what does that mean? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Wait, the PAX traveler's red? Yeah. The Grand is red. Well, the travelers are all black. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, well. that's I'm, I'm thinking of the Grand. Oh, yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. I, you don't close the Grand except at Act, which is why we call it the Act Curtain. Right. Whatever. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> this is what we debate on as a production Whatever. <laughs> that true, yes, and also shut up. Okay, so. It's okay. Don't move the scrim. I got thoughts for our next one. <laughs> I already moved it. Anyway. Uh, well, have fun moving Well, you know, um, so <laughs> the original song in the Broadway show, Ursula's yes. first song, I Want the Good Times Back. That song is also fun. Tell me your thoughts on this. I hate that they changed it. I me too. don't <gasps> like the new one. Um, what did they change it to? The new song is called Daddy's, Daddy's Little, Little Angel. Angel. I don't like that song. It's not good. I don't know. I don't like it at all. It complete like may is it supposed to make us like sympathize with Ursula because you yeah, shouldn't but also like I want the good times back is so good because it establishes her as such a villain right away because like I like here's the thing I pulled up the lyrics to this song just so we could like talk through this a little bit okay go ahead so the song literally starts off with her saying like when daddy dear was floating on his deathbed he divvied up the kingdom into two I got his magic shell and have to see as well his trident went to you know who and my reign, why it was blissfully delicious, and glamour glitz and style were oh con oh courant. Did I use some black magic? Well, oopsie, my bad. Did I mutilate, maim, and destroy just a tad? And th- for that, I get banished. But me, I'm not mad. There's just one thing that I want, one teensy thing that I want. I want the good times back. So like, just in that, it's like, okay, this is like, oh, she's a bad guy. Yeah, great. And like, what else would she possibly be? Everyone already knows Ursula is the villain. I mean, I get like sympathetic villains are like in right now <laughs> like a lot of people will try to try to do that um and, and a lot of media that i've seen they try to make the bad guys more relatable like the biggest example i can think of is like in the marvel movies loki is a very beloved character now because they took this villain character and made him much more likable which is fine and it, for that character it works but there are a lot of villains that are just evil ursula is one of those right she likes to do bad things because it's fun i think daddy's little angel gives her a little more purpose as to why she's doing what she's doing but at the same time i don't care i just want like you're not supposed to like ursula (laughs) or you do because of how bad she is i'm making a lot of uh self-discoveries oh are you (laughs) number one i don't need a villain to be sympathetic to like them Mm mm-hmm I like to root for a bad guy. I think we've established this. Yeah, I know I know your life. You're a Slytherin. That's how it works. I like the Lannisters. What can I say? Uh, number two. <laughs> <laughs> number two. I don't think... Correct me if I'm wrong. In the movie, Ursula is not established as King Triton's sister. That's correct. That Apparently that was like in an early draft, uh, but then they cut it, and then when they were... when uh. What's his What's his name? I'm sorry. Uh, when uh, Doug Wright was writing the book, they gave him like the original like notes and things like that, and he put that back in there. Right. So I think just by having that there at all, audience members can kind of glean that she's a jealous sister. Mm-hmm. 
I don't need a whole song about daddy's little angel for me to understand her motivation. Right. Like, I, I don't think she just does bad things because they're fun. I think she's pissed off and has a vendetta and she wants revenge. And that's totally fine. That's what villains do. Right. But yeah, I agree. Uh, I do not like daddy's little angel. I want the good times back sets that up better than daddy's little angel does. I think. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think I want the good times back is a better song. Okay. And I, I think it fills the holes of that fun number that we lose by cutting human stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, like that, I think that's a better fun number. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I think daddy's little angel is just annoying. Yeah. And I don't want to establish Ursula as an annoying character. I want to establish her as a villain. Right. And well, I want a fun, like gritty villain number. For sure. For for sure. Like if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a Disney villain, make him a Disney villain. Yeah. But I will say this. As I was listening to this song, there was a, a specific like stanza in the lyrics where I was like, as a teacher, can relate. Go ahead. So here is like like thinking about it from an educational standpoint, this made me laugh. Uh but that spe- specific stanza is um i want to taste their tears i want to hear their screams i want the special rush you get from crushing hopes and dreams and as a teacher i was like ha that's funny (laughs) as a teacher it made me laugh not that i like endorse that kind of behavior as an educator but i know teachers who feel that way (laughs) and it made me laugh i keep a mug on my desk that says student tears still warm that's also true (laughs) but that's the thing i was like it made me laugh because I was thinking about it from an educator standpoint, and I thought it was very, very funny. Mm. I also I wonder if part of the change. Let's see. No, this this would have been kind of early. I pulled up an article. Uh, so we, you know, Disney's kind of shifting away from having villain villains, right? And it's it's more like inner conflict as the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Less less fun, but go ahead. I guess I understand the argument, but I I like a good villain, and I don't think liking am I am I a bad person? <laughs> I think liking villains makes me a bad person, but maybe. Uh, no, I don't think so. I love villains; they're great. They're especially fun. Disney villains. It does, but yeah. it didn't encourage like watching the Little Mermaid and being like, "Ooh, I like Ursula." Didn't encourage me to like. Mm, I'm going to become a scary sea octopus and steal people's <laughs> voices. Like, anyway. Uh, I was just looking to see when that shift kind of started to happen. Um, This article says it's really been since 2013 that like Frozen was kind of the new era of not really having a villain. Like we had Princess and the Frog and Tangled. Mm -hmm. And then there hasn't really been a traditional quote unquote villain since then. And I wonder if this is kind of the start of that. We're like, let's make Ursula less scary. Yeah, I could kind of get that. I kind of see where they're coming from there. Or maybe they were just going in a totally different direction because they had Sherry Renee Scott. And they were like, Sherry Renee Scott is not Pat Carroll (laughs) and is not a drag queen. Right. So like they just wanted a totally different vibe. Maybe. Maybe that's true. But either way... As we've established, the original song is better. They shouldn't have changed it. Yeah, I want the good times. Anyway, uh, so I believe what is right after after that's part of your world. You know, part of your world is Disney stable. Like, even if you are not a fan of Disney, you probably know that song. But this is this is an observation that I've made, and I've told other people about it. I'm, I'm probably have mentioned to you before, but a lot of the times in Disney films, whenever they show like a clip. Because uh, I remember it specifically, there used to be like when you would put in a Disney VHS tape, 
dating myself here, put in the VHS tape, and it would always play like a little preview of like, oh, here's all the other Disney movies that you can get, and they would show clips from different songs, like the popular songs, uh-huh. like Beauty and the Beast. They always would show um, the Bell song, I want adventure in the great white somewhere, that part. And she's spinning around in a field, like Sound of Music. And then Ariel sings Part of Your World, and she sings Part of Your World. And then like she's up on the big rock, and there's a big splash of water behind her, all that stuff. Uh Both of those moments are from the reprise of the original songs. They're not in the original song. So those these iconic images, like when you see Part of Your World, and you think about that song in the original movie, how it ends, she's just kind of like, when she's singing, it, it... it goes like I forget I don't she's in the she's cave, in the cave right? and she's like reaching out towards the surface right it, yeah like pans up yeah and it pans up the part where everyone remembers where she's on the rock and she's like oh and she hits that big note and the splash water splashes behind her that's from the reprise mm-hmm. after she saves Eric's life right so yeah that's the part that always like that's something I I always picture in my mind is that scene it's from like you hear that song in your head but it's from the reprise it's not from the original. That's true. And so that's something that I've noticed and like it didn't it's they do it a lot. It's not like a, a common like an uncommon thing. Um but and the that particular scene is so iconic. You I feel like personally you have to include that visual in the show. If you don't, it kind of like falters a bit and in the productions I've seen that's not what happens. They don't do because it's hard to do. I understand it's hard to do, but there's mm-hmm. got to be a way to do it, you know, whether it's through projection or something else. You texting me in the middle of this? I'll include this image in our show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Those are always really funny. Um, but. But yeah, that's that's what it's from, you know. And so I, that is a visual that I don't know if it was in the original Barbara production or not, but that's a visual that everyone will recognize. And so I think there's a way, if you can try to include it, include it, and then not just not do it. Because in the even in the production that I watched most recently, she, like Eric gets up and, you know, and he walks away and she sings the reprise of Part of Your World. She's just, she's standing by a rock, but she's not on the rock, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I thought that was weird. And I was like, if you're going to do it, at least put her on the rock, you know. <laughs> but I yeah, I well, I think that's also another flaw of the show going back and forth so much because right after the part of your world reprise is she's in love. Mhm. And so then we have to go back underwater again. Mm-hmm. I uh, personally I think I I don't like the world above. I don't remember it enough to know what it even sounds like. I think part of your world needs to go there. Uh-huh. Or maybe I guess it probably has to go after Daughters of Triton. But I think Part of Your World is... That's the I Want song. It is far too late in the show. Mm-hmm. We are we are well into Act 1 before we get to that number. That's and so I true, think Part yeah. of Your World needs to get slotted farther up and then put the, the reprise later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think maybe this would benefit more from a projection-heavy environment with some limited set pieces so that things could easily come on and off yeah and you could maybe. you could have that like you could put her um you could put her on the rock so i know you didn't see this production i don't think but uh a high school near where we are mm-hmm. which shall remain nameless for privacy they did it last year i'm pretty sure sh- they they did have a big rock set piece 
And I know mm-hmm. Ariel was on it at some points. I can't remember if she was on it at that moment. I imagine she probably was. But it, it like came out of their cove. Oh, okay. It, I got it, lo- it. It looked real pretty. You'd want it to, I would hope. But yeah, I, I, I wonder. I wonder if that's something like we just need to have projections that show the water splashing behind her. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I I do. I will say though, like kind of, you mentioned this how like how it's far too late in the show. I think maybe that's also why they probably cut the scuttle song and like early because it kind of. I mean, it, they do take out that song and it makes it, it bumps it up a little bit, but it's still after Ursula's introduction. Yeah, I, I just, I don't understand how, like, we can sit here. I mean, I, I, I don't want to call myself a musical theater expert. I do have a degree in musical theater. Mm-hmm. Of, I know enough to be like, the I Want song should be, like, slot three and not any later. Mm-hmm. Why is it track seven on the cast record? Like, mm, just move yeah. it up. There had to be someone smarter than me on that team. Um, I'm. I don't know. I just think that because it's like it just flows with what where it's at in the movie. But then again, they've added songs in between do there. Do we meet Ursula before part of your world in the movie? I haven't watched the movie in a while. Uh, you do. Yes, it's very brief. It. You just kind of see like you don't. She's not like I think she's mostly in shadow. I know it's like you kind of see kind of who she is, but she doesn't come out of like come out of the shadow until like later on. Mm. But you do meet her before that. Um, but then uh, to kind of you mentioned it already, but I want to talk about she's in love. Yeah, that is the best song they added in this show. It's a bop. It is such a bop. It's so good, and just like oh, also, uh, I think I maybe mentioned this to you at one point, but it was like I don't like the weird flounder subplot where he's like head over heels in love with Ariel. That's super weird. It's weird, and maybe I guess and like. Maybe it's endearing because he's a he's a well you know he traditionally he's played by a, a little boy he's played by a boy and she's a teenager so it's kind of one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like kind of like unrequited love or whatever but she's also a mermaid and he is a fish like a straight up fish and that's weird and I don't like it uh, I don't I I like I said I I guess it was an an attempt to make him to like make it more funny or endearing, I guess. Like, be like, oh, he's so cute and, oh, you know, whatever. But, like, Flounder's... If he's Flounder is, is played by a boy, like a young kid, he's going to be cute regardless of whether you have that weird subplot in there or not. And to be honest, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. What's the point of adding this? Yeah, I think... Uh I don't, I don't want to be so hateful. The book is all of the problems with this. I think Doug Wright... <laughs> screwed the pooch on this one (laughs) uh he won the pulitzer prize and the tony award for i am my own wife Mm -hmm. and was like working on very much like not kid friendly stuff right i was gonna say adult entertainment that has a different connotation that's not what i mean yeah he was working on things that (laughs) not disney stuff not disney stuff right right and so i think working on oh he did great gardens before this too uh I think the Little Mermaid. I he had to. I I wonder. I, I don't know this for sure. I'm making <laughs> very bold assumptions about this human. That he's like, oh no, what what do the kids like? What would be family friendly? And I just I wonder if that's part of this culture of the aughts where we're like, let's put a cheesy joke in. Let, let's let's put some more fish puns. You know what the show yeah. needs more puns, more jokes about other fish. <laughs> Yeah, squid pro quo. Like, looking at you. Why? 
Ugh. <laughs> Why? What's Flounder's motivation? Did we sit down and do like a character <laughs> assignment for Flounder? Like, what's Flounder's motivation? Why is he following Ariel around and doing whatever she wants? It must be because he's thinking with his fish <laughs> Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like. <laughs> I like, get why can't that. they just be friends? They're just friends. Like, <laughs> they're just friends. Yeah. Flounder's a dorky looking fish, and Ariel's nice to it. Like, yeah. Why can't that just be it? No, like that should no. just be it. Gosh, that's so uncomfortable. Why? Well, yeah. Why well, is it cute? Because like, oh, he's a ten or twelve year old boy, and she's a grown lady, and it's like, oh, it's funny that he has a crush on her because she's a Disney princess, and he's just a little boy. But I've seen many school productions where Flounder is played by a girl Mm -hmm. because in high school theater, we have more girls than boys usually. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter. No, not really. But then I think like, are we adding layers of weirdness because (laughs) Flounder's got a weird crush on Ariel? I mean, that's how it comes off to me. It just seems like this isn't necessary. Like, I don't know why this was added in here. I, I also think they tried, we can talk about this a little more later too, I think they tried to beef up all of the supporting leads. Mm-hmm. And so some of that was like, well, let's give Flounder a subplot. So he'll have three awkward lines about having a crush mm-hmm. on Ariel. And then that beefs up that character. Right. You know, now that you mention it, this is a thought I had earlier, but didn't expand on because we were talking. But Disney does throw in a lot of like random side characters. And when they if they tend to do as they will sometimes these broadway adaptations of these animated films they like you said beef up these extra characters that aren't are, are they relevant to the plot for the most part but like i don't my biggest thing for this my exam my biggest example and i feel like the worst offender of this is frozen and just to go off on a tangent to talk about it a little bit but the oaken lodge owner guy who's in the movie mm-hmm. the, the, you big some blowout that guy has a whole number in the song in the show which we don't need but it's there yeah. and so i feel like a little bit like that with some of this stuff where maybe that's why they i mean flotsam and jetsam have a number mm-hmm. they don't need one i well, they had more i had more, apparently broadway apparently and it's a fun number i really like it it's great it i think it adds to the show a lot and not every side character needs a song. Now, it makes sense to give make Scuttle is a main part of the plot. It makes sense to give him one. It would make sense to give Flounder a song because Flounder is a big part of, you know, he's Ariel's best friend. He's a big part of the plot. They don't give Flounder his own song, but he does sing in a couple of different ones. Specific, he's featured in She's in Love for sure. Um, and then Sebastian already had two songs. You don't need to give him more, and I don't think they did. They just added him to added him to some kind of other things. But that's you know that's just kind of how it is, and that's fine. But it's just like I just anyway, it's just a tangent to go on to talk about like I don't know why they keep giving side characters more more stuff to do. I think it's all about beefing up the plot, like be, or beefing up those roles. Or or here's a this surely this doesn't happen. But I wonder if if they they sit down, they like have a table talk about okay, we're going to turn Little Mermaid into a stage musical. Mm-hmm. And here's your team. And uh, the movie's about 90 minutes long, and we're going to shoot for, uh, you know, two hours, 2.15 for the stage show, right? That's pretty standard mm-hmm. for a musical. Uh, so we're looking at adding about 45 minutes of material, potentially. Mm-hmm. And every single person went home and added their own 45 minutes of material. <laughs> <laughs> and then came back, and they were all like, but but wait, I... I 
I gave Flounder a subplot about being in love with Ariel. And he's like, but, but wait, I gave every secondary character three songs. <laughs> and now it's like, we're piecing like, what? okay, now we need to trim back. Like, surely that doesn't happen. But I mean, it might. Why is there so much stuff? It, I don't know. I just We were all so excited that we all wrote, we're like, don't, like Alan Menken and Doug Wright were like, had a, a feud over <laughs> whose stuff is going to get added to the show. Uh, anyway. Sure. Maybe. Not. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, She's in Love. She's in Love is so fun. Best new song they added in this show. We are, I, I love it so much. Uh, when I saw the nearby production, I immediately was like, "Ooh, I want to do this with our kids," because we've got a bunch of pretty great belters, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it would be a great thespian piece. Oh yeah, but for sure. It has not come to fruition yet, but maybe well, we'll work on it. We'll see what we can do. But I, I do, I agree. It is, it is very, very good. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> no one has time for that. I know. <laughs> It's like I said it with an asterisk. You didn't hear the asterisk in my voice, but I, I did put oh. one there when I said it. We'll work my on mistake. it, asterisk. Anyway, uh, I I had this in my notes. I forgot to mention it. I'll go back to it. Um, so the I, I mentioned it really briefly to her voice. Actually, mm-hmm. actually, that's actually it's good. That's it's, next. it's the next song. It's going to talk about it now. So never mind. Um, so her voice, the next song, um, giving Eric songs makes sense. You know, he's he doesn't sing at all in the original, mm-hmm. in the original source material, so it makes sense to give the love interest songs. This song, when I've heard it for the first time, like I don't mind it's a big lovey ballad or whatever, but this is probably the most Alan Menken song I've ever heard in my life, and I say that only because Alan Menken wrote has written hundreds of songs for all kinds of stuff one of those things that he wrote songs for was the dreamworks film the prince of egypt there's a song in the prince of egypt you're familiar with that right that movie yeah great just making sure it also has become a broad a a a a musical adaptation but i believe it's in london right now stage musical yeah it's become a stage musical but there's a song in that movie called all i ever wanted and the way that the lyrics and the music are, I, I don't know the technical term for it, but the way that they are written sounds like, her voice sounds like All I Ever Wanted from that movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Though there's right. also a couple of musical motifs where th- they are exactly the same as Beauty and the Beast, even in the same key. So oh, really? Like, this is, it's, oh yeah, there's no denying when you hear an Alan Menken, you're like, oh, yeah, that's him. Hear those French horns? Got to be him. <laughs> uh, so what what specifically do you do you mean by the like, comparing this to Beauty and the Beast? Like, what's the same? Or like, what is the musical motifs that are consistent? There's a couple of uh, there's just a couple of moments, especially I think it's especially uh, when Eric is on stage that are. I can't, I couldn't pinpoint exactly where they are just off the top of my head, but they are exactly, I heard it when I was uh, preparing for this today and was like, oh yeah, that's Beauty and the Beast as well. (laughs) So it's just, and I, and I don't, I mean, I don't fault him. He's what plagiarizing himself. It's, yeah. I think that's just part, like Alan Menken is so much of the Disney sound Mm -hmm. 
especially like Disney Renaissance sound. Right, for sure. That like you hear it and you're like, oh yeah, that must be a Disney. And yeah. that's, I'm fine with that. That golden that's age fine. of Disney. Yeah. That, I mean, it doesn't bother me either. I just was like, huh. Even like the, the cadence is the same. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is exactly like, and maybe if you're not familiar with uh, with both of them that you wouldn't recognize that. But I was immediately like, huh. And then I like went back and listened, listened to the other song and I was like, nope, that's the same. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's almost like, I think even like the notes are the same, but the cadence is exactly the same. It's like a sing talky part, like makes, makes sense, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It just, for me, oh, I just, for me, it was very surprising. Uh, but I was like, wow, this is the most Alan Menken thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this was, was just, for me, was, was very, very funny. Uh, and we're not even through Act 1 yet. I know. Well, but not to, very much happens in Act but 2. I was so about to okay. say, but to be fair, Act 1 is the is the big beefy part of this musical. Anyway, Ariel doesn't talk in the second act. She has she sings a couple of songs that are like in like um asides. But there's no like she doesn't she doesn't talk. She can't talk in the second act of the show. So there's that. Uh but I mean, even like one of those things, it's for me, it's funny going into this. If you had just heard Little Mermaid was going to be a, a a stage musical, your the Disney Little Mermaid was going to be a stage musical. Your immediate thought would be, oh, Under the Sea is going to be like the big musical number, like with everybody. And like, yes, correct. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's your that's your big like end of act or not quite end of act one but near the end of act one mm-hmm. big dance number i mean when you before i even like heard it i'm like titus burgess kills it because he's great right i wouldn't expect anything less i'm pretty sure uh was little mermaid nominated for tony's two two uh, so it did perform i I think i remember seeing a tony performance well it was nominated for best score Mm-hmm. I believe, and I I know uh, Sierra Bog is sang part of a song for the Tonys, but it it only was nominated for two. Where'd it go? I mean, oh, lighting design, lighting design, and best original score. Okay, because Natasha Katz is everything. <laughs> Are there other lighting designers on Broadway? No, <laughs> just there is only Natasha Katz. I remember seeing the stage production of this of the Little Mermaid. I remember seeing their version of Under the Sea. Um, I thought it was maybe a Tony performance, but maybe it was like Good Morning America or something. But they did Under the Sea. Mm. And I was like, well, of course they did, because that's the one that you want people to come. And like, that's that's the big draw is that song, because it's everyone. Even again, even if you're not a fan of Disney, you do know that song. Right. It's one of the most popular Disney songs of all time. So, of course, that's what they're going to do. And they're going to make it this big spectacle number. And it is by far. I mean, it's this. <laughs> it's funny to think that this show. I mean, this particular number is so big. They do it twice. They literally do the song right after you. Right after they finish it, like I like. There's a reprise immediately after that song. <laughs> is it considered a reprise or is it considered an encore? It's considered a reprise. It's listed as a reprise in this. I well, and this is another thing where I'm like, this kind of goes back to that old school Broadway. Where there would you know, you'd have the song and then there would be an encore built into that. A bunch of old shows have that mm-hmm. with a big act one, especially like a big act one number. I can think of 
I'll, I won't spoil the show because we'll save it. It's one of my favorites. It has two, at least two songs that have encores built into them in Act One. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and they're long and repetitive, but you know, if you have like, it's, <laughs> if it's a big cast number and there's lots of fun choreography and the audience is having a good time, then why not? But sure, and that makes and it makes sense for that song. It just does. Like I'm not I'm not mad about it. I'm just like, of course, this is the one that they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think we've had. Right before that, you have her voice. You have King Triton's reprise of the world above, like a couple of, not that they're downers, but they're slow, mm-hmm. dramatic ballads. Yeah. And then to have a big number, especially, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on mic before, but there is something about that like gospel choiry sound mm-hmm. that li- I, like I cannot control it. It makes me cry. And listening to Titus Burgess sing Under the Sea is one of the songs. Like he gets those high notes at the end and it lit like I tear up. I cannot help it. It makes me want just to like sob because it's so beautiful. <laughs> well, that's sounds very much like you. It, oh. mm. <laughs> Music does it for me. And then, oh, then we have Sweet Child, which is Flotsam and Jessam. And then Poor Unfortunate Souls, which mm-hmm. is what we're all really here for. Right. I mean, yes. <laughs> Uh, on the tier list of best oh. Disney villain songs, that's at least top two, if not number one, I feel like. It's like that and Be Prepared are like top two. <laughs> um, Ooh, hot take. I don't like The Lion King that much. Uh, so I wasn't well, thinking about you're that. allowed to be wrong, just like you always are. I know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that being said. Yeah, no, Ursula, how many Disney villains are female? It's kind of just Ursula, right? Not many. It's like her Mother Gothel from Tangled. Oh, Mother Gothel. Okay. Mother Gothel from Tangled. Um, that's kind of it. I mean, because, you know, Gaston, uh, Dr. Facilier yeah. from Princess and the Frog. Uh, yeah, even like something for like something obscure like the Great Mouse Detective has Radigan, so it's like it's a male villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I guess, is it obvious that Ursula is one of my dream roles? Um, <laughs> I I love Ursula in this show. And I I knew that it was a musical. When it became a musical, I was aware of it. But I didn't really dig into it because I was a moody teenager and I was really into Stephen Sondheim. And mm-hmm. I, so I just didn't dig into it that much. And then later on, I was probably in college... I found out that it was Sherry Renee Scott that had played Ursula. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I, if she played it, I have a similar voice type. I could play it. I'm like, mm, that's a villain role that I want so bad. <laughs> Someday. And I'm, that's not a role I will age out of anytime soon. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Whereas the other Sherry Renee Scott roles, I'm aging out of very quickly. <laughs> so, yes, I would love to play Ursula. And it's, in, it's all in the higher keys. And- it's delicious. We love a good villain. Please cast me as Ursula in your <laughs> local community theater production. Also, <laughs> Little Mermaid. Also, like her costume in it's so is cool. so cool in the original production. Like she hits that kind of like l- that end part of that song before she does the the enchantment, the, in- uh-huh. in- the in- incantation, and like all the tentacles come up and it's just around her. Oh. That's like a peacock tail. It's so good. So good. Yes. I mean, like, I don't think that's anything that she, the way I like saw her use, like move it, it looked like she kind of controls part of it, but I don't think she controls all the whole thing. But I can also see why like a lot of productions, like amateur productions try to replicate that, but that's really hard. It's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard. 
I'm mean, and so, I'm like try to do you know because scaled down a little bit right because like, like you're you're a costume person so you understand not not fully but you understand enough about it to where it's like I teach it sometimes you teach it sometimes <laughs> but you're like <laughs> but that I mean it wasn't your like it wasn't your your focus in college or anything no so it's just become a thing I have to do now that right I'm a teacher. right <laughs> but like so even that like trying to look at that and try to figure out how to get that to work is is one thing and then actually building it is another and like for me being a technical person i can definitely like see how it could work but it's not it's not easy to do that see this is one where i would just call uh the costumer and be like hey i'm doing the little mermaid <laughs> what you got yeah yeah just call the uh gonna call up any anyone that will rent you that costume or a very similar yep. costume the one uh, productions I've seen, they did not do that. They made it themselves. Also, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna make an Ursula costume, make it purple. Ursula's colors are like purple and blue. Don't or black. Don't I mean. make it. Did it bother you that Ariel weird shades of green? Uh, <laughs> that Ariel was all turquoise. There was a production where Ariel was all turquoise. Yeah, the the one that we both watched recently. Oh. Oh, no, her Ariel did not have purple seashells. No, she, she was all turquoise. She, no, she didn't. Act two, she has all turquoise then. Oh, maybe Act two she does, but Act one I thought it was purple, and then had turquoise the turquoise tail. Oh, maybe. Because that's also something like I've heard a lot of people like comment about and make fun of is like all the sisters have like a matching seashell and tail, and then Ariel doesn't <laughs> because she's special. That's because she's a spoiled youngest child yeah well you would know all about that <laughs> i'm the oldest i know child that's why i'm saying family. that's why i'm saying you would know about that i'm a middle child so i didn't get anything except forgotten except forgotten right that's true <laughs> who are you yeah. which which one are you oh right which one where's are you he at oh, yeah. i don't know uh anyway <laughs> but i mean what i mean poor fortune of souls is such a great choice for the act one closer it has to be there there's no other like you can't continue after that you know it's like you have to take a break after that because it's i yeah i think ariel's transformation is the act one finale. like i think looking at it that's the logical place to do it for sure i'm trying to remember if it's actually that far in in the movie i mean I, the movie's probably more of a three-act structure a little bit more, yeah. So it's probably the end of Act One, um, which gives a little more room towards the end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I think that made perfect sense. Mm. And yeah, to go to the uh, intermission there and then to come back. And I don't think positivity is anything except for a fluffy Act Two opener, yep. which is what we need. Yep. And I wrote uh, in my notes, I wrote insert obligatory tap number here. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. It serves the purpose. Like, if you're going to do a Broadway show, you got to have at least one tap number. Well, and I don't, I don't really understand the purpose of positivity, like, lyrically. What, <laughs> what are we trying? Like, why don't we just put human stuff there? I don't know. It's a good point. Or, or, or you could keep the, the musicality of positivity and just make it more human stuff, lyrically. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's just, oh, we have this funny costume of a seagull and we like... Everyone likes Scuttle, so let's do a funny number in with feathers and tap shoes. Mm-hmm. Again, is that is that part of that 2007 culture of, like, let's be goofy and silly? People like goofy. I mean, maybe. That might be exactly what I'm trying that is. to remember. I was in, like, 07. Yeah. 
Oh, seven, oh, eight. I was like eighth grade, ninth grade. Mm-hmm. So. I'm trying to remember. I was already hateful and miserable by then. <laughs> so I don't know what pop culture was enjoying. But. Well, I mean, you're just not a pop culture person anyway. No. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I mean, honestly, I kind of feel like there are not a ton of highlights in Act 2. It's it kind of drags, honestly, in my opinion. But like positivity is like like you said, kind of the fluffy opening number. Beyond my wildest dreams is kind of a, just a boring song. There's like nothing really that sticks out to me in that specific song. And I don't really like listening to it because we have a particularly talented musical theater student mm-hmm. who I've heard sing it, and I think she sings it better than anyone else I've ever heard. Oh wow! So wow. so like listening to other people, I'm like. Mm. It's not as good. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. After that's Le Poisson, which is like so fun. But again, I, I'm going to go back to my whole side characters thing. It's like, but this is, I'm okay with this one more because it's a side character that's already built into the original, the original movie. So I am okay with bringing him over versus just giving other characters different songs. Well, and I think we need, we need a comedy number. At this point, like, right. by the time we're getting into the heart of Act 2, like, my butt is tired of sitting in a seat. So we need a comedy number to get us going. Uh, Chef Louis is the perfect cameo role. For sure. John Stamos played him. Like, <laughs> I, that's I a know. perfect cameo. Like, bring in your big star. Uh, um, why did we ever do Peter Pan live? We should have done The Little Mermaid live. Oh, yeah. He would have been yeah. so much better, Chef Louis, than Captain Hook. I I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree for sure. Right. You don't need to be an amazing. It's it's fun if you do have a great singer in that role. I don't think you have to be a good singer in that role. I was watch, the, watching the amateur production. And as I'm sitting here watching it, I'd be like, this is the part I want in this show. <laughs> Chef Louis. That's the part I want. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, it's just, it's so much fun. Like, oh, I get to go out and yeah, be a, be a goofus for three minutes. Mm. Yeah, sure. Go for it. That is the role for you. That's the one the I'd want to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it's great. I like that. He, I like that it gets a reprise, mm-hmm. you know, encore pretty much. <laughs> we continue the chase sequence a little bit. So it's just fun. Um, fun fact. I don't think I know if, if I mentioned this or not, but I went to New York and got to tour the new Amsterdam. And they had a bunch of stuff left over from Little Mermaid that people could like look at and stuff. And one of the things, oh, yeah? one of the things they had was the uh, tiny Titus Burgess under the cloche. <gasps> they had that still, so like you could walk up, like you could you have under the cloche, like when he it's during the reprise he walks up with the he walks mm-hmm. up and he pulls the cloche off, and then there's a little tiny Titus Burgess with like a big head that's like. Ah! <laughs> whatever like it's like and there's someone who like makes it move and i think they take it and i think they close it and then he climbs out from under the table and they start chasing him or something like that but it was very very funny yeah and like it was just it was so much fun i actually got to put on the sebastian jacket too the original one um uh, i will say that it does not fit me i am a broad man <laughs> i don't think i'm necessarily fat but I am I am very broad shouldered, and at the time Titus Burgess was not a broad shouldered person, so I put on the jacket, but it was very hard to take off after I put it on. Like I was afraid to rip this hundred hundreds of dollar custom made suit jacket. I was really afraid I was going to break it. But it was cool. 
Wait a second. I just had a thought. So I know Le Poisson is not in the movie. It is. Is it? Yeah. Is it in that? It, but it's later in the movie, isn't it? No, it's around the same time. It's in later in the movie. Yeah, it's in the act, act two of the film. But yes, it's yeah. Yeah, but isn't it like right? So in the it's in the movie, because they cut the whole Vanessa subplot, which is sad to me because I I don't. It's been a long time since right. the movie, but I do remember thinking it was really fun that Ursula would turn herself into a brunette version of Ariel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like exactly this. Like she's her evil doppelganger, but they have different hair, and that's how you can tell them apart. Yeah. Uh, but isn't isn't he pre- like they're they are about to get married? Right no. in the movie, they're just having the dinner. Movie? No, they're just having dinner. Really? Uh-huh. You need to no. watch this movie okay. again. Maybe I should watch this movie before <laughs> we talked about this. Like, Ar- yeah, <laughs> probably. No, what happens in the film is that Ariel comes out and she's naked because mermaid, and then she comes up and then they find Scuttle and Scuttle's like, uh, you know, something different. I can't figure it out, and he's literally sitting like on her leg, and he's like, I can't figure out what's what's different. And then Sebastian says, she's got legs, you idiot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah. And then they, Eric comes and finds her and brings her back to the castle. And, like, you know, she bathes and does different things. And, like, right after that, or pretty soon after that, is when uh, we get Le Poisson in the movie. And Chef Louis is cooking. He's preparing dinner where he's cutting off fish heads. And uh, Sebastian is horrified. And then uh, he sees Sebastian and tries to cook him. I would have said that was after Vanessa, but okay. I believe you. No, I it's it is trying to reconcile this thought in my head. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, that's maybe is that my favorite song in the show? Maybe I think that's the funniest. It's great. It's really fun. Um, after that, one step closer is fine. It's another love ballad. Boring. Eric sings a lot of ballads in this show, and then after that, we get a reprise from Ursula. And originally, it's I want the good times back, but then now in the re- in the licensed version, we get a reprise of the bad song, uh, <laughs> "Daddy's Little Angel," and I just do not care. But this is when she's like, "Oh, gotta, oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to take things up a notch because like what we've what we've been trying isn't working, so I got to take it up a notch." And then that's when we get to, for me, another banger from this show is "Kiss the Girl." Like I played that song at my wedding, honestly. It's such a good song. And I understand this. The song is is great. I think it's it serves its point. It serves its not a point. It serves its purpose for what it is trying to do. I understand there are people out there that are like, oh, this song's kind of it's like it's like it's encouraging non consensual things. Mm-hmm. I very heartily disagree with that for this main reason. What is Ariel's goal? And these are questions I'm going to ask you that I would like you to answer. What is it? Oh, okay. I was going to say, is this rhetorical? No, it's not rhetorical. Um, what is Ariel's goal? Her, her goal is to get Eric to kiss her. Correct. <laughs> and that is because if he does, she'll get to stay human, right? Because she's in love because with him. Because she's in love with him, right. Her goal is to is for that to happen. Now... She is not able to speak, so she cannot physically say, yes, it's okay for you to kiss me. She cannot say that physically, right? But there are other ways to indicate approval without using your words. <laughs> and th- Well, yeah, that's like saying people who do not have the ability to speak are unable to give consent. 
Right. That's and that's not accurate. But I I always think whenever people get a harp on this song for that particular reason, I'm like, Ursula literally says to her, never underestimate the power of body language. She says that to Ariel in the show that like there are ways Ariel can give consent for Eric to kiss her without having to physically say it. Right. And like the way, like the, even like when, uh, Sebastian's singing that song. He says, yes, you want her. Look at her. You know you do. He's like, he is also, Sebastian is also aware of Ariel's feelings for Eric, and he's aware of Eric's feelings for Ariel, and he's just saying, like, she wants this to happen. It's okay, basically, is what Sebastian is, is saying in this whole kind mm-hmm. of thing. Now, he's the middleman that shouldn't, like, if this is going to happen in real life, there shouldn't be a middleman necessarily but well and that's probably the point. a crab is not going to talk to you and tell you what to do and if a crab is telling you to kiss someone then you should seek help <laughs> that's also true like don't hear that if you're if you're a child and you're listening to this or a, by child i mean like a teenager don't don't get advice from crabs it's not going to work out for you just don't worry about it uh, yeah talk or, to crabs. or really any animal for that matter. Probably no talking animals. Don't talk to yeah. animals. Uh, or you can talk to animals, just don't expect them to give you solid advice. Um, but yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't understand, like, I understand some people's feelings and I'm like, are you actually, have you seen this movie? Are you aware of what Ariel wants, of what Eric wants, of what the song is about? Because like, you can take whatever you want and take it out of context and, 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 and you know, shape it any way you want to. But, like, Ariel wants this to happen. So with Sebastian saying, you want to kiss her, he's, like, trying to convince Eric, like, to do that. Because he wants, like, it need like, his, <laughs> and one, it needs to happen because if it doesn't, Ariel's going to die. Or not necessarily die in the movie. In the, in the original product, in the original book book by Hans Christian Andersen, she is going to die if this doesn't happen. It's not that, that, that way in the Disney movie. I know that. But it's still, like... I just, I don't see why people get so up in arms about it. I, I agree. I think potentially, just if you pull the song out of context and look at it, you know, potentially it could, I could see where people would have concerns. I think in the context of this particular movie and musical, the concern about consent shouldn't be there. But I think some of that just comes from... uh this new culture of like this is bad and we should hate it like right yeah so i and i i remember when i guess it was probably when the new movie started like the buzz for the new movie mm-hmm. yeah began and i wonder if this is i'm trying to remember if i heard any buzz about this song being not good before covid cuz i think mm-hmm. people spent too much time sitting alone in their houses and they're bored and it just got fun to cancel things online. <laughs> and now we're like, well, it's bad. Everything, so everything's bad. There's one maybe tiny sort of questionable thing. And instead of analyzing the whole situation, let's just cancel the whole thing. Cause it's bad. Right. Yeah. That's... I think, yeah, I just, I think that's a really immature way to look at things. Right. And I, I mean, I think we see it more probably because we work with teenagers whose brains are still developing and they hear one thing and it's really fun to jump on a bandwagon and have right, big emotions, sure. even though you don't yeah. need to. 
Well, it's like it's like a thing too. Like and like, like I understand like what toxic masculinity is and like all this kind of thing. And I and like I agree. Yes, when people are like are that way, it is bad. Cancel culture is also a toxic thing because it's it's limited so many people's like perceptions. I feel like like saying something is bad because of this one minor thing and saying that all oh, this whole thing should be thrown in the garbage the whole thing's trash because of this one little thing is not a healthy reaction mm-hmm. and so in my opinion toxic uh, cancel culture is also a toxic thing that people have just kind of fallen into and especially younger people have accepted as being like oh this is just a thing that we do and i'm like yes but <laughs> i mean if there's no like, personally if there's no conflict there's nothing to talk about mm-hmm. and like if you take a lot of the things that I'm like, I'm, and to be fair, there are things that I do think that are not okay. I don't think everything is fair game, right? There are certain things that should be, that should not be joked, talked about and joked about. Sure. But yeah, like we're saying specifically with cancel, it's like cancel the little mermaid because of this one song. You take it out of context. You can make anything fit your agenda, fit what you want to say. Yeah. Well, and doesn't she just like wash up naked on the beach? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> right? She washes up naked on the beach, and he's like, oh, you need help. Let me take you to my house. I will clothe you and feed you and ba- like make sure that you have all the things you need. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, we're on a sailboat or a rowboat, and he still hasn't even tried to kiss her. <laughs> I'd be wondering if he's actually into girls. <laughs> she was literally naked on the beach. <laughs> That's a fair point. I mean, he is a sailor. True. There's a lot of handsome men on that sailboat. With Sail on the high sand. seas all the time. He he only likes her voice because tenors love sopranos. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Gay boys like princesses too. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I'm not yeah. Anyway, moving on. That's anyway that, cancel culture. Cancel culture. <laughs> anyway, that song's a banger. Get over yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's a gr- stop. Great song. Yeah. It's ruining things that don't deserve to be ruined so right after kiss the girl we get a reprise of sweet child and we get the quartet that reminds me of uh shrek (laughs) there's a song very similar to this in shrek where donkey fiona and shrek Mm -hmm. are singing at the same time and this is essentially the same idea it's just four of them instead what's the name of that song in shrek i always feel like that's kind of a common thing for musical theater to have this quartet where like oh let's fit all these songs back together but i don't think it works very well here yeah i don't think so either it's like i think it's forced i don't like it yeah well like i said like i've said several times before shrek is the first musical i was ever in and that song that they sing i believe it's i could be a hero or whatever that i can't remember the the song spotify is working too slow right now let me see if i can find it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's like ooh, what if we had a one day more but make it disney right yeah <laughs> it's it's i just don't like it i mean it's boring we got eric who's singing because eric sings only sad songs or slow songs um ariel is singing a, sl- a slow song because she's like oh no er- eric is gonna get married and it's not gonna be me because he doesn't love me because i can't talk or he does. He's looking for this specific voice that she can't 
you know, she can't take care of. Um, okay. Uh, the Shrek song is called who I'd be. That's what oh, it is. Yeah. Who I'd be. And that, that song is really, really good. The first time I heard that song, I cried. But anyway, um, but that's true of like 90% of songs you hear. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, if only the quartet with Ariel, Eric, Sebastian, and Triton, it's like Triton is like Ariel's sad because Eric isn't is not in love with her yet. Eric is sad because he can't find the one voice he's looking for. Triton is sad because Ariel's not there, and then Sebastian is just sad, I think, because he's a crab. Like I don't know. I I think Sebastian is sad because he can't help her. He can't help them, I guess. I don't like, know. It was kind of confusing. Why? I don't understand why Sebastian needed to. I think they decided they wanted a quartet. And they were like, okay, Ariel and Prince Eric, that makes sense. I'm like, hmm, mm-hmm. who else could we include? And I guess Sebastian's the one that makes the most well, sense. I don't think they put Ursula no, well, in. I mean, Ursula, I think, could be fun if you want to undermine it a little bit. But, like, Flounder was right there. That's true, Yeah. And also then you could true. have had another trouble. Because Flounder voice. doesn't. Flounder doesn't do anything. Flounder doesn't do anything in Act Two. <laughs> he shows up at the end for the finale, mm-hmm. pretty much. But he doesn't do. Oh, he's he's also there in Positivity, where he's dancing in the background. Because Flounder's I in think, that scene too. I really too, think but that quartet needs another treble voice. It really bothers me that it's three like baritone voices, and then Ariel. I just like it doesn't have enough balance, in my opinion. And, and mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Flounder's right there. I feel like Flounder yeah. likes Ariel more than Sebastian does. That's true. <laughs> right? That is like, very why true. Why Flounder be sad? Yeah. Flounder could be sad that she's going to marry Prince Eric and not him. Right. <laughs> you know. It's a little 12-year-old self. <laughs> yeah. Always a bridesmaid. Never the bride. <laughs> Poor Flounder. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, so like, I... I I am okay with like this whole thing with like okay now we're we're gonna parade princesses out for Eric to marry because Grimsby's like you need to marry someone mm-hmm. soon. I don't know why it has to be so soon. That's not quite explained. Uh, Grimsby's just like you have to marry someone on like the day of your, before your birthday is over, or I guess we're just not gonna do that. Like, is not a real reason as to why this is ex- why this is a subplot. It, I think it just has to align with the kisser in three days. Or, or, I don't know, is this... When does The Little Mermaid take place? Like, what time period? Because, I mean, if he's... How old is he? 18? 20? He's not married yet? I mean, he's basically an old he's, man he's, who can't ever have children. If he's 20 yeah. and unmarried. I mean, she's supposed to be... She's 16 in the movie. I don't think they really established right. that in the stage show. But, like... She's basically an old maid. I don't think they How say much that. time does she have yeah. left? <laughs> so looking at this, it says like the original book was published in eighteen thirty seven. So if you want to go with that, that's around the time if you want to go with that, that's around the time that this takes place. Did they have silver pots or copper pots back then? Yeah. I don't know. I think they had definitely had silver. Well, I mean they had definitely had silver because seventeen seventy six is when the United States was was formed and Paul Revere was a silversmith. Sorry, random history knowledge, but like if it takes place around 1837, which I was like if it was but even even then I'm sure it was like oh a long time ago, you know, once upon a time. It wasn't like a this is a modern day story or whatever. 
But if the story's set in that time period, like I guess, yeah, technically he would he would be his like oh he's you're past Mary age because you're older than thirteen or whatever it was. But then again, like a lot of the times too, it didn't matter how old the dude was. The just girls had to be like were usually somewhere between like thirteen to sixteen when they got married, or were married to someone like got got married off to people. Oh, the patriarchy. Uh, okay, this article says that the like the Disney movie Little Mermaid is kind of hard to place because of the costumes. Like if you look at it from the clothing, mm-hmm. Grimsby is dressed kind of Georgian, and Ariel's pink dress is like there's like parts of it that kind of hit uh, different periods from like the Renaissance all the way to the 1840s, and then Eric's costume is like, eh, but then the Ariel's wedding dress, like, could have been 1890s, so, like, mid to late 1800s, question mark. Well, it's also a fairy tale. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of the point. Bit. It doesn't really matter. As someone honestly. who has to teach costume history, it matters to me a little bit. Well, <laughs> uh, sure. Okay. Then for that for that argument, yes. It, that one, you'd be but like, anyway, I, I yeah, no, it's feasible that she's 16 and he's like anyway, but yeah, the, teens, the n- early 20s to be like, get married or you'll die and never have an, yeah. uh, an heir or whatever it is people are worried about at that point. Yeah, yeah um, it's not really clear. It's it's kind of just ambiguous as why that why that's the case, but I don't I don't mind adding in this whole this kind of subplot where there's like oh there's a contest and it's like we're gonna parade a bunch of princesses out in front of you, and like I would have hated it much more if like these princesses were like other Disney princesses but they didn't do that right they didn't they're just they're just generic princesses right. Mm-hmm. It, they're not saying like oh they're from a specific place or whatever or like I mean I think Grimsby does at one point mention oh this girl's from this place but it's like they're not already pre-established yeah, Disney well, characters. Yes, I do think that's a great substitute for the Vanessa subplot from the movie. It's like well we can't mm-hmm. really tra- we don't have the time to transform the actor playing Ursula from Sea Witch to Ariel like Great Value Brand Ariel. But well, here so but here's here's the thing though, you don't have to. You just get a different actor to play Vanessa, and then you have a uh, technical thing where you switch from Vanessa to Ursula, right? Because if you're familiar with the Disney movie, Ursula doesn't look anything like yeah, Vanessa. Yeah, that's because she's a magical sea witch, and it's a cartoon. Look, if look, if they can transform Fiona from Princess Fiona into Shrek Fiona on stage, yeah. they can well, do something like that. Well, have you seen where they double cast Princess Fiona and Shrek Fiona? Because I've seen yeah, that and I hate weird. it. So why would we double cast Vanessa and the Sea Witch? No, no. This is this is what we're gonna fight would, about because... on this episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, no, this is what we're gonna fight about. I because think like this is a perfect sub- it, that's Vanessa like, is supposed like to look like Ariel. Like, oh, Philippe is a horse. What should we do? How will we put a horse on stage? You don't. We're just going to make a weird little robot contraption, and that's <laughs> fine. We don't need a horse. <laughs> Same thing. We don't need Vanessa. We have seven, six annoying princesses who are also the Mer sisters, usually singing uh, a, a thinly veiled reprise of the song they sang earlier in the show. Right. Sure. But even then, like, so here's here's a question, though. Are these supposed to be... 
are these princesses supposed to be bad singers? Um, I think it adds to the fun if they are. And well, in the content and the and the recording of the soundtrack, I don't think that they are. I just think they don't sound the way that he wants them to. He's not. He's looking for a specific voice, and none of them sound the way he wants them to sound. And so, or he's wanting. He's looking for a specific voice, and he's not hearing yeah. it right. So I don't remember them sounding bad, but I mean, I guess if you want to add to the fun of it, you can make them sound bad, but I don't think it's a necessity. Well, here's the, what if, so he's looking for this specific voice, right? But what if a better Mm -hmm. voice comes along? Like that's what, like Ariel is very beautiful. So obviously he doesn't Mm -hmm. really care that much about what she looks like, right? Like the singing voice, that's the thing he's into. So what if an even better voice comes along and he's like, Fuck Ariel. I found something better. Ariel Ariel was a nine. She's a ten. <laughs> I don't I mean that's a good point. I mean I guess they established earlier on that Ariel is the most beautiful singer. True. They do say that earlier, like before they do um Daughters of Triton, or like during the song they kind of establish that. Also, Jonathan Freeman doesn't get enough credit. <laughs> He's so versatile. He is. He's really great. I think I think it's just that the Disney sound, like the Disney princess sound, is uh, like a mixy. It's not really belty. It's more mixy, and they just belt. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's not as quote unquote pretty. It's a little more sure brassy. Sure, I guess maybe, but I don't know. I just like I didn't think they necessarily had to be bad singers. They just didn't needed to sound different but then again you don't want a princess that's going to sing better than ariel so there's also that and and it's funnier if they sing bad because they've already especially if you're using the mer sisters as the princesses Mm -hmm. because you already know that they can sing it pretty sure and so now they get to sing it bad and it's fun sure i get that Uh, anyway let's talk about the end of this show okay okay (laughs) because it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. I have not seen a show fizzle out this badly. I don't think ever. <laughs> I mean, because like, here's, here's the thing. I understand that the original animated film sets up this like kind of epic, big, like scary finale where like Ursula becomes like this giant sea kraken monster and then how she dies is Eric, she like tries to wreck the ship and Eric drives the ship into her and like stabs her in the gut. It's like one of the most violent Disney deaths we've ever seen, like in an animated film. Right. I understand we can't do that on stage, at least not to that extent. Right. Unless you are going to use maybe something like projections or other type of puppetry, something to maybe try to do that. But even then, Anything, I think anything along the lines of that would have been better than what we got, <laughs> right? Because like when I think about that kind of the, the, the end of the third act of the film, what happens is Ursula turns into Vanessa and uses Ariel's voice to get Eric to fall in love with her. And then she does some magic on him to make him entranced. And they're going to get married. It's not like a, oh, I'm going to parade in these different women and you have to pick one. It's he is getting married to Vanessa, Right. right. And then it becomes we have to stop the wedding versus, you know, oh, we got to save Ariel, I guess. I mean, it's it's kind of twofold in there, right? To save Ariel, they have to stop the wedding, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of how, how it works at the end. But basically, like, 
Ariel starts to turn back into a mermaid. Ursula turns back into herself, grabs Ariel, and then brings her back down to the bottom of the ocean. Triton gives up himself to save her. She turns into a big sea monster because magic. And then Eric realizes he is in love with this mermaid and then uses the ship to kill Ursula. That's the animated film. What we get in the Broadway show or in the stage in the stage version is all these other women show up and Eric says, yeah, it's not any of them though. And then Ariel tries her hand, even though she can't talk. And he's just kind of like, Oh, that's cute. And then he hears the voice that he is wanting or he's looking for. And then Ursula shows up just looking like Ursula grabs Ariel, takes her to the bottom of the ocean. Then Triton shows up and he's like, Hey, not cool, sis. And she goes like, Hey, you want to save her? Trade places with her basically. Right. Right? That's what kind of what happens. And then so he starts to die, roughly, or she takes his soul. I don't, it's, it's I like, guess. It's like a 10 second exchange. Yeah, they talk a little bit. She ends up taking his soul. Ariel goes over, grabs the shell that's the source of her power, this conch shell looking thing. That's the source of Ursula's power that's established during Poor Unfortunate Souls. And then she gets her voice back and she goes like, hey, if I destroy this, you'll die. And she goes, no, that won't happen. And then so she destroys it. In the script, it literally says, Ariel throws the shell off stage, breaking it. We don't see it break. We just have to assume it's been broken. And then Ursula goes, ah, and she dies, disappears <laughs> into, I believe it's described as a, she disintegrates into ink is what it says in the script. So... Flotsam and Jepsen then go, oh, no. And then Triton's like, oh, you saved me. You know what? Thanks for that. I'll let you go be with that human boy you like so much. And then it ends. That's kind of where it oh, ends. Oh, no, no. It drags on for five more minutes while we sing more lovey-dovey ballads. That's true. They sing the finale. Yeah. And so I'm like, this is the most disappointing change in this entire show. You could, I mean... Make Eric fight Ursula somehow. Mm. Something. Do something else. Like, I mean, the the Triton exchange thing still still should kind of happen because it's part of the movie. But then, like, I don't know. It, I guess having Ariel destroy Ursula is, like, poetic in some way. But it's so dull and anticlimactic. It's, yeah. Like, I mean, the way that I look at this, like, Ursula could have accidentally dropped that shell at some point and it got crushed and then she just dies. This Is this the, is this a deus ex machina of this show? It's like, oh, all of a sudden this shell is the source of her power and then it gets destroyed well, and she dies. Is that what this is? It's not really a deus ex machina because it's set up earlier, but... Sure. It's a really bad example of a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> I think I think it's more of a girl power thing where they were like, wouldn't it be great if Ariel saved herself? I mean, but then like, it makes I think it's more impactful if Eric finally realizes, oh, this is who I'm looking for, and he goes himself to save her. Well, that makes more that's sense. Kind to of me. what happens, right? Like all the girls sing, and then he's like, no, nah, it's not any of them. And then she's like, I can't sing, but I'll dance. And then he's like, yep. Yep, I love her anyway. I'm going to marry her even though it's not the voice. And then the voice happens. And he's like, oh, yeah, the voice. Like, wait wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is it, buddy? 
and yeah, no, th- and then Fred would be like, oh yeah, this octopus monster has climbed out of the ocean and somehow into your castle without anyone noticing and <laughs> drags her back into the ocean just long enough for us to change her costume back to her freaking mermaid costume. And then we yeah. can change her back to her. Wa- oh. Also that production we watched that princess costume that she had on. Mm-hmm. She looked like a McDonald's. She was red and yellow. I hate it. <laughs> I honestly, true. I thought they were trying put to put her back in the put her back in the pink dress. I thought they were trying to play on all the Disney princesses. I saw the yellow dress and was like, "Oh, it's Belle." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, "Oh, it's this." And it's like, "Oh no, it's just." But there was already someone in a yellow. You dress look too. like French fries with ketchup. <laughs> yeah. No. Jeez. I mean, we won't talk about that. That specific production because i had a lot of issues yeah but yeah no (laughs) anyway but just yeah they just it's so anticlimactic this the stage version i just i can't get over like how i'm like look i get there's certain things they can't do but like try you're disney theatrical you can do literally anything you have like a well full of money (laughs) okay do something. Yeah, it resolves something. way too quickly. Like to be like, oh, Ursula's back and kidnapped, and so now we'll go down. To th- I'm sure in the script that scene is like one page long. It's like two pages. Oh, okay. Well, it's because it's double spaced, right? Yeah. <laughs> is there a song in there? Here's the. Here is what happens. There's a very short reprise of poor, of unfortunate, poor unfortunate souls. souls. That's what. And then she sings the ah part. To get her voice back. And then she's like, if I destroy this shell, you'll die. She goes, no, that's not going to happen. She's like, nope, that's not true. You believe everything he told you? And she goes, hmm, breaks it anyway. And then she goes, ah, and then she explodes into a... Yeah, I think we needed to set up Ursula more as a... um, Oh, what am I trying to say? We need to set up Ursula as having a better relationship with Ariel if you want that to work. Right if there were more lines in the script in act one that kind of establish their relationship and like Ursula trying to get Ariel to trust her and like, like maybe kind of wedge putting a wedge between her and Triton. And like, that's the only way that would work. Like it's like three lines later. She's like, Oh, I took your dad's soul. Never mind, I saved him. Time to get married. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, man, it's, I, act one is so solid. Act two has some really big highlights, but this end is just bad. Mm. There's no other way around it. The ending is just for this show is just bad, and I feel like maybe that's why it didn't. I mean, it did okay. It just it didn't. It's not been as successful as the other Broadway productions so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lion King has been really successful. Aladdin has been really successful. Frozen ran for a while, you know. So. I feel like maybe that's that's kind of why it just it didn't do as well because the end literally just kind of fizzles out. Did it? You know? Did it flounder? I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. But I'm. Uh, now I'm just now I'm see now I'm upset for a different reason. So Frozen did run longer. It was 825 regular performances versus Little Mermaid's uh, 685. Hmm. And the only reason Frozen closed was because of the pandemic. Right. I think it would have ran for a little bit longer had that not been the case. But I think so. I mean, 
I think this has been Disney's most successful, like least successful, most successful musical yeah. <laughs> they've, adaptation that they've made. Because like obviously the least successful has been Tarzan, and we'll talk we'll talk about that Someday at some other we'll point in time. Tarzan. Um, I want to talk about so my one of my bullet points here, like my last big bullet point. Okay, is titled "Is this my favorite Disney musical?" Question <laughs> mark. Okay, and. So, like, preface, Beauty and the Beast was my favorite Disney movie when I was a kid. Like, I wore that tape mm-hmm. out. And it was my favorite musical for a while, too. I've seen, like, seven or eight different productions of it. Like, definitely more than I've seen any other musical. Mm-hmm. Belle was a dream role of mine for a really long time. Like, I just I was like, Beauty and the, of all the musicals, like, movies or musicals, like, of my favorite Disney is definitely Beauty and the Beast. or Or was as a kid. Um, I've never seen a stage version of Beauty and the Beast that really impressed me, mm-hmm. including the national tour. Wow. Okay. And so I've just come to the conclusion that it works better as a movie than stage. And that's mostly due to the costume requirements. Sure. And I think Mermaid falls into the same trap. There's a, like a zillion non-human characters. Right. And I just think it's more achievable to do animals and fish and mermaids than singing household objects. <laughs> Like, to do it and do it well. Sure. And yeah. so, coming into this episode and having seen... I've seen The Little Mermaid. I think I've only seen it once live. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we watched a couple of recordings to prepare. I was coming into this thinking, like, oh, I'm going to really enjoy this episode. And especially looking at it through an educational theater lens. Because, like, most of the musicals that I'm going to do at this point are probably going to be stuff that we produce at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just thinking, like, this could be a good choice, potentially. I mean, we w- I would want to wait a while since we just had a nearby school do it recently. Right. But I actually, I made a chart. I want to, I'm going to screen share with you, I think, if I can make it work. Oh, okay. So I made a chart that's a side-by-side of the characters in, there we go, the characters in The Little Mermaid versus characters in Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. And so I think the highlighted ones are like really like pretty much one to one compliments. Like they're the same character. Sure. So obviously like Ariel and Belle, and then Prince Eric and the Beast. Like they're it's the similar types of characters, similar types of songs. Right. Um, I think Sebastian and Lumiere are probably your showstopper. Like non-human. Uh, oh wait, hold on. Uh, those phrasing ahead of my brain for this. Uh, your charismatic, flamboyant, non-human tenor who sings the big act one show star <laughs> in an accent. Sure. Uh, yeah. One's French, um, one's I, just Jamaican. I get you. One is French. Yeah, one's Jamaican. Um, I think Grimsby and Cogsworth and like King Triton and Maurice, I think you could swap those either way. Sure. Right now I have them as Grimsby and Cogsworth being analogous just because they don't sing as much. Yeah. I don't believe Cogsworth sings as much as Maurice in the stage show, although I think they cut Maurice's song. In Act One recently, but anyway, I think like you know, two of them are dads, and two of them are like right mentor figures. Whatever, either way, and then Flounder and Chip, but right. then you get into some of the other characters. So like Mrs. Potts and Ursula are not analogous characters. No, not even a little bit. I mean, I I guess if you have like your Ariel is probably your Belle, and then if you have a strong female performer like. Who could be Mrs. Potts? Like they're probably going to be Ursula, but those are not the same type of characters. No, at all. not even a little. And their bit. vocal demands are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, like Ursula and Gaston are the villains. 
Right. Those aren't analogous to each other. I mean, I guess like Flotsam and Jetsam are kind of Mm -mm. the substitute for LeFou, but there's two of them. Right. And then you've got this like supporting leads in Beauty and the Beast, who's, again, I've seen this show more than any other one. It was my favorite musical for a long time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the names of the wardrobe or the feather duster. Um, so the the wardrobe is garderobe, is the wardrobe. Nuh-uh. Yeah, Gard- garderobe is the wardrobe. And the, the musical? Fe- yeah, and the feather duster is Babette. Babette, okay, yes, I do remember that. I pulled that out of my butt. <laughs> like, I, was, I didn't even pull up, I just was looking... Uh, the like the Mer sisters and the maids and the princesses on Broadway were played by the same six performers. Mm-hmm. And so I guess you could split those roles out if you need to feature more girls. Mm-hmm. And then you have Scuttle and Chef Louie who are both featured characters mm-hmm. who don't have an out like who don't have a compatible comparable character in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. I mean, because, like, even thinking about this in terms of, like, comparing it even to, like, the other successful Disney one, Lion King, there's just, it's similar, but there's also a lot of flipping because your Ariel slash Belle would be Simba. Your Prince Eric or Beast is probably going to be Nala. Your side character who you'd have that's, like, has a big show-stopping number is going to be an uh, Timon and Pumbaa. It's both of them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, your mentor-type character that doesn't really sing there really isn't one maybe zazu zazu but zazu has at least one song mm-hmm. um your king triton maurice is going to be mufasa your flounder chip uh there's maybe kid simba and kid nala that's the only thing like it's an analogous like, yeah. for, like they're just the kid role in the show uh your ursula and gaston it's going to be scar and then your flotsam jetsam or lefou is going to be three hyenas you know one of which does not sing, I don't think. There's because there's Shinzi Banzai and Ed. I don't believe Ed sings. He's the one that makes all like the laughing noises. And then like you're you're like then there's no other like really on the on the other like side characters in that show that I can think of. There's no from what I can, oh Rafiki, that's one. Hmm. Rafiki I guess would kind of be you know what Rafiki is probably your mentor type character. So your Grimsby Cogsworth is probably going to be like Rafiki because Rafiki doesn't only sing, really sings the opening number. Um, and then your Zazu would be like your Scuttle. He just has a featured song, mm-hmm. I guess. Like just going, you know, off the top of my head with all this. But as far as like your ensemble, that's going to be like with your sisters and Maids and all that stuff. Uh, there's not really anything like that other than just people playing random animals like in lion king you know so yeah so i that's uh i'm i'm struggling a lot because i really looking at it i think it is a good i mean there's a reason it's number five right most produced high school musical Mm -hmm. it everyone it has the name recognition it has a big featured cast it puts butts in seats I get it. And I was really like, I was ready to come in and be like, yeah, Little Mermaid is the best Disney theatrical show. But I'm like, mm, there's a lot of flaws. And I think some of the flaws are that there are too many characters. We're trying to feature too many of them. I think if we, I think you could probably cut Scuttle. Well, not cut Scuttle all the way, but like have him there. But I think people only want Scuttle for the sentimentality. They're like, oh, but Scuttle's in the movie. You know who else doesn't do anything for the plot? Flounder. Yeah. Sebastian in Act One. Yeah. Like, like they don't they don't do anything so 
you don't need them. You just need them because it's your audience wants to see Scuttle. Yeah, I suppose that's true. That yeah, I get that. I get what you're and saying. So I, like honestly, Scuttle would be the first one I would cut <laughs> to try to <laughs> fix the problems, mm-hmm. and I would pull Flotsam and Jetsam back even more. Yeah, and that maybe that would save some time. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, earlier I mentioned to you that I had production ideas for this. Yeah, as you're getting to the segue. I, I will say, like, th- there's a reason that they're tied on that list. And, you know, be- as we just said, like, there's a lot of characters that sub one for the mm-hmm. other. And I think, at least in my opinion, Beauty and the Beast is probably more beloved as a movie. Mm-hmm. But I think they have equal recognizability. And they are, you know, they're equally produced. So I feel like if you have lots of talented kids that you're trying to feature and you don't know which one to choose, probably The Little Mermaid is a better choice. I think I'd agree with that. I would. I think I would do that before Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah, I think I would agree with that. But if you have like a a really good ensemble, I think this is a show you'd want to pick. But if you have like one or two, like one or two kids that are like really good, and everyone else is kind of okay, then I would not pick Little Mermaid. No, one problem. I don't know where this is in my notes. I put it somewhere. Um, I think the reason this is kind of backtracking a little bit. I think the reason Daddy's Little Angel. Or I want the good times back because I don't think it's necessary. That that's another thing I would cut mm-hmm. immediately. Um, I think it's there because every other lead character besides Ariel is male. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And so I mean, while I've seen many a production with a female performer as Flounder and Scuttle, mm-hmm. like yeah, there are way too many male characters. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I could see I could see why that's your argument there. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me why that would why that would be there in that case. To just keep the old song. Ditch the new one. That's where I'm at. Right. Anyway. So anyway Anyway, so your production yeah, ideas. Yeah, so my production ideas for this. I think that the costumes for this are can be really good or really bad. Agreed. And um what I think I would lean more towards puppets for a lot of the non human characters. Like Specifically, Flotsam and Jetsam, and Tell Flounder. Um, I honest, it's it's weird to think about this, but I honestly think Sebastian works just fine the way he is, despite the fact that of the four characters I just listed, he's the smallest. <laughs> but I think Sebastian works just fine as a as a human, more human character. But Flounder, I think you could make into a puppet, and Flotsam and Jetsam, I think you could do a lot with with puppets but i also feel that because it's hard to make people that are walking on a stage look like they're swimming you need to have essentially have a puppeteer per performer to help move tails or move tentacles in a way that makes it look believable to me like i've seen the costumes i get how they work but like and i know this would be a lot right and i would say really only for like the main cast like you'd have ariel and then a puppeteer for ariel's tail triton a puppeteer for triton ursula and probably like three two or three to move all the tentacles around and then everyone else could more or less be in a costume because like those puppeteers are probably also gonna double as other ensemble members like doing other things Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of what i would i think i would lean more into that that direction just because, like, one of my biggest things is that Flotsam and Jetsam are electric eels. 
it's really hard to make a person look like an eel <laughs> and it not look dumb. Mm-hmm. And I, granted, I've seen the I've seen the Broadway costumes and they're all great. You know, I just feel like in some respects, it'd be easier to do puppets for some characters, but not for all of them. And that kind of for me, it feels very similar to like when I think about the Lion King, Zazu is a puppet. Now, there's a performer who's got face makeup on and wearing a costume that also has this puppet, but it's a puppet. Zazu himself is a puppet. And uh-huh. same thing with Timon. Timon is a, is a puppet, but Pumbaa is more of like a wearable. He's like a wearable puppet, right? So I think if you kind of go more that direction, it makes more sense to me for that than it does to, to not, specifically because they are all underwater, right? And now... I also think if you're going to do this show, you should have a fly system in which you are able to fly people. Um, I think that's really important for this show because it's it's hard to do Ariel's um, ascension to the surface if you don't have that. That's interesting because I don't feel that way at all. You don't feel that way at all? I th- nah. I think it adds a lot more to it than if you don't do it. I think it's fun if you can. And like the production we watched, Scuttle also flew a bunch. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, that's fun. But I don't think not flying aerial detracts from the show at all. I think you can do some fun lighting tricks and just isolate her. Yeah. It doesn't, it, that, that actually doesn't bother me at all. Well, here's the thing though, too, is if you have puppeteers or ensemble, maybe you do a thing where you just kind of lift her up and kind of move her around like over your head as, as opposed to having like her fly right out. Yeah. You put everyone else in black and you just light her and she's just kind of moving around trying to like, you know, Mm. quote unquote swim to the surface. There's ways you could do it. I just, I just personally feel that having some puppets would elevate the production to, uh, in, in, in a specific way versus having just everyone in costumes. But I also understand if people were like, well, you need to have everyone needs to be a puppet or everyone needs to be in costume. I get that argument as well. I just don't think that it did really detracts that much from it. Right. And like, cause I've seen like the, like, uh, like I said, the, this share, this production that we, that we both watched a lot of the sea creatures had very elaborate face paint as part of their costume. Mm-hmm. And some of these kids are getting like, well, it, I will, it was a high school production that we saw. Um, they're they're having to get in and out of this really elaborate face paint. That's a huge pain to do that, right? So if you use more puppets, you kind of can get away from that to a certain extent, right? Now, and I know it's very popular. Cause I think that the original Flounder on Broadway had Heelys on, and it kind of like helped make that character look like they were flowing. I think most of the most of the actors kind of had wheeled shoes of some kind to to glide around more than walk which is fine and i understand that uses too and i still think that that could still be utilized i just think that having puppets would help would just help you know mm-hmm. again they're underwater they, they they would technically be suspended in what we would call midair you know on the surface world <laughs> and they're kind of suspended they're just floating around Right. So for me, that makes more sense. But I get not doing that as well. Yeah, I think I don't know if I would go for Healy's far to direct this. I think I'm going to save my uh, roller skating show for Xanadu (laughs) and uh, Starlight Express if I want to scare the kids. (laughs) 
but I don't know if I I don't know if I would do it. I don't know. Actually, I wasn't gonna talk about this, but since we're talking about costumes, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the mermaid tails. Mm-hmm. Like like the fact that she's walking on her own legs and then she also has a tail. Yeah, I get that the what they're going for in the visual. That's why I'm saying I would rather have someone like. Obviously, you're not gonna not see her legs, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you're gonna literally fly everyone like four feet off the ground for this entire show, which doesn't sound fun or easy. So unless you're no. gonna do that, uh, it doesn't really bother me. You know, suspension of disbelief. It doesn't really bother me that much. But that's why I'm also like, well, if you had the costume with the tail and someone's operating the tail separately from the actor, right? Mm-hmm. then I feel like that's a little more believable than if they're not because like the tails are stationary. They don't move. They're just kind of like they swoop off their butt and it just kind of like is there, but they mm-hmm. walk around and it can, it's kind of malleable in the way that like, you know, it, it moves a bit and maybe, maybe it will like flap with air movement, but it doesn't give the impression of like a mermaid tail. It just gives an impression of like a tail, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh so I think if you were to make them in a way to where they were more movable in that respect, and when the actor is walking, I don't think it's that much of a detraction. Of a distraction, if that makes sense. Like I, I don't know if I'm making any sense as I'm talking about this. Uh, you are okay, but I just feel like you know, fish don't just sit. Don't, don't their tails don't just sit there when they swim right they move them around their fins and their everything it moves when they're when they're doing things when they're moving around they don't just most fish don't just float and then not move right mm-hmm. so in that that's why i'm thinking if you're going to have the mermaid tail you should have someone who can like operate the tail and it doesn't have to be like flopping around like rapidly you know, because that wouldn't make sense. It's not realistic, right? But just like just to have someone just kind of subtly move it around a little bit as like she's sitting there, because that's what would happen, mm-hmm. right? At least I I think so anyway. Yeah. Well, and if you watch videos of uh, Sierra Bogus performing, she does the thing with her arms like she's treading water. Mm-hmm. She like she does. It's very subtle. But if you're like, oh yeah, she's a mermaid, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I hate the tails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you knew that as soon as I asked you the question. Um, yeah, the uh, pretty that, much, yeah. That she's got a full skirt that goes all the way down to her feet and then an additional tail that comes off of her butt kind of makes her look like a mermaid centaur to me. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> and I can't not see it. I think the tail needs to be like mounted a lot lower. Like You can have the length. It doesn't bother me that the tail would be super long. But I think the tail needs to come off of like her calves for me to believe that like this is all one body or just don't give her the tail. I know she's a person in a mermaid costume. Yeah. Like the, your electric eels are in bodysuits with like colored spots on them. And I know that they're eels. I, I know she's the little right. mermaid. It's in the title. Like just give her a little mermaid skirt and mm. I'll buy it. Well, you know, it, uh, it bothers me more that the tail and the skirt are the same color. Mm-hmm. Now, if the tail was one color and the skirt was another, meaning like if the skirt was blue, if the, well, if the skirt she's wearing is blue, so it looks like water, and then the tail is like the color of Ariel's tail, I'm more likely to believe that. 
I think, yeah, I would like to see what that would look like if her her actual, like, the performer's legs were covered in a material that was meant to blend in with the environment, whether that was black or blue or whatever, mm-hmm. to blend in with the set. I, I wonder if my eye would get used to that enough yeah, to believe that she was, like, treading water as a mermaid right. and not as a person in a weird costume. Right. <laughs> but also, does, so, the I... Now I need to go back and see. Uh, did King Triton have a, a mermaid tale too on Broadway? Or I am honestly, I'm not sure. Did all of the girls have to wear the stupid tail? And he no, I think Triton to. did. I think he would have. Also, as a side note, every time I type in Little Mermaid into Google, I always type in Littler, and I'm annoyed by it. The Littler Mermaid. The Littler Mermaid. It's the sequel. Yeah. King Triton finds love again, and Ariel has a new half sister. <laughs> um, it looks like he does. Oh, his tail's not as stupid as hers. Oh, here, here's a here's a stage production where they did Ariel, but she's wearing a mermaid. She's wearing a mermaid dress, like the skinny, then it flares out at the bottom. Well, and that's kind of what uh, our nearby school did, okay. and I thought it was fine. All of the mer sisters were kind of like they had the. They were more covered than the Broadway production or, like, the, the cartoon where it's just, like, seashell bikini. Like, they kind of played with the color, the same colors, but it was, like, to- they were totally covered. And then they had these long mermaid-cut skirts, and I thought they worked really well. Mm-hmm. Oh, Norm Lewis. What a man. All right. I'm going to watch this thing you sent me. Okay. Just, I mean, if you if you jump ahead to, like, 35, like... 25 35 seconds that's where he comes in and you can just see his costume really quick yeah his isn't as dumb <laughs> right yeah I, I think having a this having the mermaid like the mermaid style dress i think is totally fine it's kind of harder to move in because i've seen those dresses i've not worn one but <laughs> you know i've seen like i've seen how they how they work and all that and that's kind that's kind of what ursula has in her costume it's just it's kind of like a black sequency looking mermaid style dress with tentacles that come off the back of it i mean if you're in heelys you don't really need to move your legs that much right no, i suppose it's true you're just kind of wheel you're just kind of wheeling around i've never worn heelys i don't know i uh, as we were preparing for this i was imagining directing a production of this with heelys and just knowing that like when I sent home materials in my performance contract, you'd have to be like, please provide helmet and knee pads and elbow <laughs> pads until your child can operate Healy's reliably. Yeah. Yeah. Because knowing our kids, there would be several head injuries. <laughs> Probably in the first 10 well, That's minutes, even before so. the Healy's. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. We love you, but you're clumsy. Yeah. Jeez. Coord- take a dance class coordination does not <laughs> exist Ugh. hey if you're listening take ballet take literally anything why is it you can do these tiktok dances perfectly but you struggle to do simple choreography and simple shows i don't understand <laughs> and that's not just our students that's all high school students <sighs> also get your friends that do dance to come <laughs> to come audition for shows please right they're in my classes. They just won't audition. Jeez. Yeah, we had a few of those. You know who you yep. are. Yep. Yep. You better. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Do you have any other uh, talking points? I don't. I don't have any more talking points. I just know that the Little Mermaid always uh, 
just the the movie in general hits very close to home for me. It is my wife's favorite Disney mm-hmm. show, Disney movie of all time. She wore her VHS tape out of this of this one when you wore out little <laughs> Breeding the Beast. She wore out this one. Yeah, I believe her mom told me they had at least two copies of it somewhere. Really? Yeah, <laughs> just because they had to. Because my wife would just watch this over and over and over again. When she was little. Yeah. Yeah. We have aerial theme stuff in our house right now. We have mermaid theme stuff in our house right now because of her of a love of this movie <laughs> and this show. So, you know, in the, in case anyone out there is wondering, we we intentionally didn't really talk about anything uh, that has come out past this, just because we wanted to just keep it more relevant. Because the the Broadway per, uh, the stage musical is specifically based off of the original animated film, so we didn't really want to talk anything past that, uh, just because we didn't want to like. I mean, trying to talk about all things Little Mermaid would take us much, much longer than what it currently is well, right now. We've already been here for about three hours. Right, so. so it would be we would be here much, much longer if we did. I also I don't know if you have I haven't seen the new movie, and I don't know if or when I will. I have like, not. Either. I don't have anything against it. I just haven't seen it. Um, I have not either. Uh, and it was just because I just don't. I'm just tired of Disney remaking the same movies over and over again. And that, I just don't want to support that kind of behavior. You know, it's, you know, what's the definition of insanity? If you, you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, except in this case, they're doing the same thing over and over again and ex- expecting the same results and it's not happening. So like, I mean, we sure we could talk about some of the, some of the movies. Like I thought Beauty and the Beast was fine. I didn't particularly care for Emma Watson. I think Aladdin is the best love action one that they've done. I think Will Smith is great, despite the fact that he slapped a man on public television. Um, I, and like on all the actors in that are, are great. Um, you know, I thought Lion King was kind of boring just cause the an- real, real animal faces are not expressive, like animated animal faces. So like Lion mm. King just didn't do it for me. And after that, I just like I watched Mulan, which is not a musical in any way. And a couple, I'm like Peach Dragon originally is a musical, then the remake is not. So I'm like, I don't know why you're taking a non-musical and making it worse. A musical and making it into a non-musical because that just makes it worse. So I don't know. I don't want to. Like I said, I don't want to support that kind of behavior. Nothing against the people that worked on that show or worked in that worked on that film. And apparently, it's doing well without me, so I'm not too worried about it. So, you know, I mean, there's people in it that I like. Halle Bailey's great. I really like David Diggs, you know. I like Melissa McCarthy a lot. Is it McCartney? McCarthy. McCarthy? Or McCartney. It's McCarthy. <laughs> McCarthy. I really like Melissa McCarthy. And so nothing against any of the people that were that are working on this. I just I just don't have interest in seeing it. And I probably won't. If I do, it'll it'll be at home on Disney Plus at some point in the in the far future. Um, yeah, but there's a, I, I did watch, I will say the, the little mermaid live that they did, which was kind of a ripoff because it was, wasn't actually live. It was like, we're going to play the animated film and then all the songs are live. And I'm like, that's not the same thing. Hmm. I didn't particularly care for that. I think Ali'i Kalvaharo, who was, who, who sang the Ariel songs. Yeah, I was excited about that until I found out what yeah. it was. Yeah. But Ali'i Kalvaharo, she was great. Um, Shaggy's a weird choice for Sebastian. Uh, they sing a couple of Prince Eric songs. I don't even know 
if they're from this show or if they were written new. I honestly don't remember. I've only seen it once. But Queen Latifah was Ursula and she was incredible. So I wasn't mad about that. <laughs> I bet she was really good. She was great, yeah. Oh, um, we didn't we didn't dreamcast this yet. We have not dreamcast this show. Um, honestly, I don't even know if I want to because <laughs> the cast in the show is so solid already. There's not a way we can make it better. I don't, well, I don't think we need to dreamcast it, but I do want to mention who was attached to the show originally. Okay. So apparently, uh, the, like when the show was very early in concept phases, Carrie Butler was Ariel. Really? Okay. Emily Skinner was Ursula Hmm. and Gavin Creel was Prince Eric. Ooh. I know. I'm kind of into all of that. Wow. I mean, that honestly wouldn't wouldn't have been terrible. I don't think. I think that's cool. Yeah. And I can't remember what they said happened, but it was it was in talks very like much earlier, and then it got put aside for something else. And then when they came back to it, they had a new cast. I think that's the Little Mermaid. <gasps> so yeah, I think that's it. Feels pretty good to me. Would you like to rate the Little Mermaid on a scale of one to ten? You know, I think I'd give the Little Mermaid. I'm gonna give it a seven. Out of 10, just because the ending is so bad. And like some of the changes are good. Some of the changes are meh. The But the ending is the biggest offender for me. I'm going to give it a seven. What about you? I, I agree. I would also give it a seven. I think the biggest problem with the show is that it is, it, it's a, it's pacing issues. Mm-hmm. And again, like we look at things through an educational theater lens so much just because we are theater educators. So when I'm looking at shows, I'm like, you know, if it's a if it's a perfect show or if it's, it's very well done, that makes it easier for my amateur performers who are maybe in their first musical or stage production ever, mm-hmm. having you know never never taken a class or done anything. Uh, I need a, a very well put together book to elevate their performance. For sure, it's easier for them. Yeah. And if I'm depending yeah. on like my skills as a director and then their skills as performers to fix or like at least do the show as best they can. Like, and there are already pacing issues, then I'm scared it's going to drag. So I honestly, this is not off the table for me. Sure. At some point, you know, maybe in a decade or so we'll consider this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's great. Something that that we might do, but it is flawed for sure. sure. So I think it's a seven. Great. But I still, I really want to like it more than I do. I think my analytical brain is getting in the way too much and seeing all the problems. And if I were just a a Disney fan and not a musical theater person, I think maybe I would love this. Yeah, maybe. But like, I mean, I am a Disney fan and a musical theater person. And like, I think it's fun. I really like it. I think some of the things that they've done are creative and like how they've tried to get get away with the whole like half, like what like 60% of this movie is underwater 70% of mm-hmm. it you know so I think they did a good job with that I'm just I mean Ursula is up there like I said of, of one of the best Disney villains and they just did her dirty by who she disintegrates <laughs> into ink she also has to sing Dag's old angel twice which I would argue is worse I would rather just disintegrate yeah. into can ink we sing poor unfortunate souls twice. three times let's do that <laughs> the other song that she what is it I want the good times yeah back. I want the good Those times songs. back yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, it's better. So if you are out there and you are uh, Alan Menken, put that song back in the show. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So students, if you're listening, maybe in 10 years. So when you're gone. Yeah. Huh. Tweet at Alan Menken and tell him <laughs> to put this song. Put yeah, I want the good that song that back in, in the show. I'll, I'll think about it sooner. Yeah. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> it's the greatest show, man. Is produced by Brantley Wheeler and Emily Chavone. Our theme song is by Patrick Duffy. All of his information will be listed in the episode description. You can find us all over social media at Greatest Show Pod. Tweet at Brantley, tell him why he's wrong and has horrible taste in musicals. If you have suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, please send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. Yeah, Shaggy is also a weird choice for Sebastian because he just. It's him like, there you see her sitting there across the way. <laughs> like, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> Just saying. He sounds like Stitch. <laughs> anyway, I like Shaggy and other things, but not as, not as Sebastian. <laughs> oh, that is the end tag <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> my shaggy impression Brantley does shaggy does Sebastian Mr. Lova Lova <laughs>